The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 381. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Hand Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you are watching the podcast, you'll notice that the background's a little different. Again, I'm still in a transitionary period uh, with the studio and with some things that are going on. So it'll look like this for a little while, and then it'll look a little different at some point. But um, if you are watching it, a little something different behind me. Of course, also, you've got some festive... Uh, decorations in the background too. So some different things going on on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to it on the radio or on the podcast, who cares, right? I mean, it's it's the same thing. Uh, you can support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses, and you get the best coupons for Black Friday, which is already going. It's already going on. You want to be at McClanahan Academy. If you want to get any of that awesome content, I have slashed my classes tremendously during this particular time period in terms of cost. So you want them. You want to get them, and you want to hop over and enroll free of charge. Get the free class, and then you'll get the emails with the coupons in it during this Black Friday period. You can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. A great way to support the show. Also, click on that support tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You get your book plate. If you want to autograph one of my books, my most recent book, Southern Scribblings, makes a great Christmas gift. You're going to want it. 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. It's really awesome. So go out there and get that book, too, and then get a book plate, and you've got the best of both worlds. you got the book and an autograph for the book as well. And click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Another great way to spend a few bucks, get somebody a nice Christmas gift, a Brian McClanahan Show logo gift, right? So if you've got that Brian McClanahan Show fan in your life, get them a Brian McClanahan Show logo gift. As always, rate the podcast wherever you get podcasts, share it around on social media, do all you can to help get people thinking locally and acting locally. Okay, let's talk about the topic of the day. And this is sort of a listener-generated podcast, sort of not. Uh, But I've had a lot of people ask about, for example, the 1876 election. We're in, and I'm going to talk about the election again, and I know it's, it's something that's... Two things are on everybody's mind right now, the election and covid I should say three things. And then it's decorating for Christmas. (laughs) Because, um, I mean, people are out decorating for Christmas earlier than ever before. Uh, They're in the stores where you buy your Christmas gear, buying those things earlier than ever before. I mean, I think people are really depressed this year. And a lot of it is because of government. I mean, there's no question about what's happening right now. The government has gotten everybody down. Whether it's the government through actions with COVID and not allowing people to do anything fun in life anymore, or whether it's the election, maybe you're euphoric about the fact that Donald Trump might be out of office, or maybe you're depressed about the fact that Donald Trump might. I mean, this is a weird time for everybody. And then compounding all that, you've had all the sad news this year, certain you know people that People like dying, you know, Sean Connery and Alex Trebek and all. So we've got a lot going on, plus all the people that have died from COVID. 
COVID-related illnesses and other things, uh, even beyond that. I mean, it's been a tough time for a lot of people in America. But I want to tell you, when it comes to the election, there have been more difficult times. And I mentioned before in, a, in an episode that we've had stolen elections before. This isn't the first time. It's not the first time. It's not the last time that we're going to have an issue of voter fraud in elections, or at least suspicious and irregular activities in elections. I mean, I think this is what this comes down to. We know, I mean, anybody knows, look, the Democrats would be reacting entirely different at this particular point if they didn't know that there were some irregularities and that Joe Biden probably didn't win all these states that he's looking at without some things that were done on the shady side to ensure that he could win by 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 votes. Now, that seems like a low number, and it, and it is when you're talking about millions of votes. It still is a hard number to overcome, though. So for the Trump campaign, I think they padded these things enough that the Trump campaign and the Trump legal team will not find enough to overcome these numbers. And I'll give you an example. There's a YouTube video showing clearly that on election night, Donald Trump had 1.69 million votes in Georgia. About a minute later, he only had 1.67 million votes in Georgia. 19, almost 20,000 votes went from Donald Trump, took, were taken away from Donald Trump and given to Joe Biden, just like that. 20,000 votes. Now, Trump is down by too much in that particular state, or I'm sorry, this was Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania. Trump is down by too many votes in that state, this is Pennsylvania, to make a difference. If those 20,000 votes were given back to Trump, he still is in a very difficult situation. The other thing that I mentioned in the last podcast, which I don't think is going to happen, and I said I don't think the Republicans have any guts, they won't do this, is for the state legislatures in these areas to send a Republican slate of electors to Washington, D.C., the votes along with the votes for Biden. And the reason I say that is Republicans, at this particular point, don't have the guts. They don't have the guts to do it. Anyone that wishes for the Republicans to actually stand up for anything is going to be sorely disappointed because the Republicans have never been that, particularly not in the 20th century. They've never been that. They've always been the party of the establishment. And by going against Biden, and there's a lot of Republicans that don't want Donald Trump in office, even at the state and local level. They don't want Trump there. They'd rather see a Biden administration than a Trump administration because they don't like Donald Trump. So the hopes of all that, I mean, any of that happening, are, are slim to none. And even the Republican legislatures have signaled they're not going to do this. They're not going to send a slate of electors to Washington, D.C. to create a chaotic situation. So we know the election has been rigged, stolen, at least there are some irregularities there, enough to give you pause as to whether this was a fair and free election. In some ways, it's been delegitimized. American elections have been delegitimized at this particular point. But what does that actually mean? Because have American elections ever really been that legitimate to begin with, particularly when you're talking about the president. The story I told you on the last podcast of 1800 shows that there's always been some discretion when it comes to these elections. 
Jefferson was able to take four electoral college votes from Georgia when there was a lot of discussion as to whether those four electoral college votes were legitimate or not. So by doing that, he ensured that the vote would come down to just Jefferson and Aaron Burr. And when then when you go forward, we look at 1824. And Andrew Jackson cried this was not a legitimate election. He had more popular votes than anyone else. But yet, John Quincy Adams becomes president of the United States. And so was that a legitimate election? Well, I mean, according to the Electoral College and the system, certainly it was. According to the Constitution, it certainly was a legitimate election. But we have Andrew Jackson running around calling it an illegitimate election. In 1828, of course, when he finally, it's just Adams and Jackson, Jackson wins in a convincing victory in 1828. But it allowed for Andrew Jackson to run around for four years saying that uh, essentially John Quincy Adams was not a legitimate president. It was the corrupt bargain. It was a stolen election. And we know even after that, we had particular periods of time where people would complain about the process by which the president was elected. In 1840 and 41, when William Henry Harrison dies and John Tyler becomes president, the Whigs run around calling John Tyler his accidency. They essentially say he's an illegitimate president because there wasn't anything spelled out about assumption of office. We know the Constitution says the vice president will assume the responsibilities of the president if the president is essentially dead or incapable. But there was some question about, well, should uh, we have another election? Should we, should we hold another election? But of course, John Tyler establishes the precedent where, no, that's not what we're going to do. He becomes president for the remainder of that term. So there are people that call John Tyler illegitimate. When you look at what happened in the 1850s, there was some discussion about trying to get elections thrown to the House of Representatives. And even in the 1830s, there was some talk about that. So these are things that have gone on. And then finally, when you get to 1860, and you look at that particular election, and of course, Lincoln wins as a minority president, a majorly minority president. The man didn't even get 40% of the popular vote, 39.6% of the popular vote. He won enough electoral college votes to win the presidency, which is the only thing that matters. Even to this day, it's the only thing that matters. But Abraham Lincoln was, in some people's minds, 60% of the population didn't want the man as president. So is he a legitimate president at that point, if you're just going by popular margin? And then we get to the war. And this is what I want to focus on here, because I said there were several episodes in the 19th century where you could say you had stolen elections. Elections that were taken from the other side through fraud or voting irregularities. We'll just use that term, because... The other side will say, you can't prove fraud. You can't prove anything. There's no fraud. There's no fraud here. Well, you could say there was no quote-unquote fraud in these 1860s, 70s, and 80s election either. We do know that people, the idea of voting, you know, voting uh, early and often. I mean, this is something that happened in these urban areas in particular that were dominated by political machines. We know people voted twice. We know there was all kinds of shady things going on. And this is why the popular vote is not a true signal of where 
the vote should go. Democracy, when you're talking about 50.8% against 49.2%, is not a crushing mandate majority. It is simply 50% of the people telling the other 50% of the people what they have to do. That's not an effective system. It's a dangerous system because you set up the opportunity for people to say, that's not it. I reject this entire thing. This is why Calhoun talked about concurrent majorities. A simple numerical majority is not enough. You have to have consensus from a larger majority to make these things all work. Because what you really get when you have 50 50 against 50 is factions in that 50 controlling the 50, so you might have only 20% controlling the other 80%. So what I want to talk about, though, are these elections. And we'll start with 1864, often considered to be a fair election, a free election in the North. But was it? Lincoln won in 1864 with only 55% or so of the popular vote. Now, when you look at that, on the surface, oh my gosh, 55%. That's a lot higher than 39.6%, but you got to remember, you still had 13 states that didn't vote in that particular election. And Lincoln did win convincingly in the Electoral College. But how much of that 55% was cooked? And the question is, how was it cooked? Well, this comes down to the military. And there have been people that are not necessarily on the right and not necessarily anti-Lincoln that have written interesting books about this. One of them is a man named Jonathan White. Jonathan White is a professor and... uh, in Virginia. He is a young guy. He's written a, a couple of books, wrote a good book uh, about the ex parte Merriman decision. He's interested in civil liberties. He was someone who was uh, in, in northern opposition to the war. Um, he was uh, the student uh, Professor Needley, who wrote a book on uh, northern opposition to the war. Uh, Neely is not necessarily um, someone who believes, he, he would say that there is the attacks on Lincoln are unfounded, that civil liberties were well protected in the North. I mean, he, he generally comes down on that side. I think that he doesn't always follow his own evidence. But regardless, Jonathan White has done some very good work on the war. And what's come out of all this, of course, is that there was tremendous ballot box stuffing in 1864 with the military. That's the interesting part of it. Because in 1864, I think the soldier vote was approaching, for Lincoln, approaching 90%. It was between 80 and 90%. So you mean to tell me that only 10% of the soldiers were Democrats? We know that's not true. We know that, uh, particularly early in the war, it wasn't true. We do know that if you follow uh, James McPherson, that a lot of soldiers came around to the position of the Lincoln administration during the war, whether it was on a variety of issues, namely on the issue of abolition. But we know in 1864 there was a lot of ballot box stuffing going on, and that vote swung the election for Abraham Lincoln in several states. In fact, the way it worked is if they needed votes in an area, let's say they were a little low in an important state, they would send the troops into those areas so they could vote even if they weren't from that state, but those votes were counted in that state. 
So what they were doing is allowing troops to vote in areas where they shouldn't have voted, and this gave Lincoln a crushing victory in 1864 against George McClellan, who was very popular among the men, among soldiers in the war. The idea that we would have some... I mean, McClellan was saying that he was going to continue the war, though the real threat was, of course, if he gets into office, is he going to listen to the peace wing of the Democrats and try to sue for peace? Are they going to negotiate a settlement that will allow for a division of the Union? And I think that rhetorically was in the bloody shirt they started using this in 64. They used it more effectively during Reconstruction. But certainly the propaganda and everything else around the 64 election was one that was uh, an interesting part of American political history. But Lincoln barely won in 1864. This was voter fraud. When you allow soldiers to go vote in areas where they don't live, and this swings an area in favor of Lincoln, that's voter fraud. That's what we have, is voter fraud. Now, you could say, well, we're a national election, so people should be able to... If I am from Georgia, but yet I live in California, I should be able to vote in California for California. We have national election. Basically, what you want to do there is abolish state lines. It doesn't matter anymore. And essentially, that's what, that's what could happen in all of this if we look at how things are working out in, in America today. But 64 was bad. 68 was even worse. You have Grant running for president. And, uh, of course, Lynn, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew Johnson is you know, not going to be even considered. He's already been impeached. And you have Horatio Seymour as the Democrat nominee. And we know there was tremendous voter fraud in this election. In fact, the only way that Grant wins is because of military reconstruction, essentially. Because what happened in the South is you had large numbers of people disfranchised. And then you had a large number of people who were enfranchised. Now, this is where you get into the dicey politics of Reconstruction. We know that by enfranchising millions of voters in the South, and I'm talking about former slaves, freedmen, who were going to vote Republican, and disfranchising millions of voters who are Democrats, what are you going to have? You're going to have a situation where the Republicans win the Southern states, and this is the only way Grant wins the election in 1864. It has been shown that without that vote, without the soldier vote, and without the Freedman vote. Grant doesn't win in 1868. He doesn't win. He can't win. So this was essentially voter fraud. You don't allow these people to vote. You make these people so they can vote, and now you win elections. And that was the whole point. Uh, Phil Lee has done a nice job of this in his new book, Southern Reconstruction. Of course, this is something that people pointed out for years, but they're all called horrible names now because, well, they don't fit the Eric Foner narrative of Reconstruction. But I think Phil Lee has done a nice job of trying to bring this together from a 21st century perspective. It's not tainted by the Dunning School. And what I say by that, Phil Lee could be in no way categorized as a racist in his book. And so this is where you have uh, this interesting perspective. What happened to how were, how were black voters used as pawns? This is Hiram Rhodes' Rebels in 1872, saying, you know what's going on in Mississippi? We're being used by the Republican Party for Republican power. And they were exactly right. I mean, Rebels was exactly right. So 68 was a stolen election, stolen from the Democrats. Horatio Seymour probably should have won the 1868 election. 
And maybe things go a little differently. But because of a large block of people not being able to vote, and because we had, again, the soldier vote, and the soldier vote becomes so important moving forward. 1872, you've got Grant against Horace Greeley. Now, this is basically Republican against Republican. Horace Greeley was one of the most ardent Republicans in the United States during the war. Very much a man who believed in prosecuting the war. He was an abolitionist. Uh, But Greeley in 1872 saw the corruption of the Republican Party and railed against it. Unfortunately, Horace Greeley had some health issues. And at one point, this is how much people thought Grant was corrupt. And you still had. 1872, you still had military occupation of the South. You had fewer people now voting who could have voted before. And so we had this the situation in 1872, interestingly enough, people were voting for Horace Greeley even though the man was not really available to be president. Uh, and so, because this is this is a whole, whole interesting part of the Electoral College vote in 1872. People still voted against Grant. And so you had a stolen election in 1872. Then we get to 76... We know that Samuel Tilden wins the popular vote, but he loses in the Electoral College. Why? Because of the disputed Electoral electoral College returns. You had two sets of returns from several states. And so because of that, it comes down to a political deal cut between the Hayes Republicans, and this is what the old interpretation is, the Hayes Republicans and some Democrats in Congress. Though Michael Holt, I think, has conclusively shown that What really swung that election was Colorado, because Colorado was admitted as a state. If Colorado is not admitted as a state, and the the Democrats allowed this to happen, if Colorado is not admitted as a state, well, Tilda wins the election anyways. That's the interesting part of the 1876 election, but certainly stolen. I mean, we know that the Republican returns were fraudulent, stolen, 1880. 1880 is not considered a stolen election, but it really was. It's the closest popular vote in American history. Less than 2,000 votes separated James Garfield and Winfield Scott Hancock in 1880. Hancock was very popular. A conservative Democrat, a war hero, a real war hero, a man that many people in the South also respected from his war record. Very close election, and only swung again by the military vote. You see, what has started happening by the 1880s is that you had this block, the, the Grand Army of the Republic, the GAR, became a early, an early form of a political action committee, and you had to appeal to the GAR to get anybody to vote for you. I mean, if the GAR did not come to your aid, you were not going to win elections, and they would rig them if they could. One of the other things you're getting are pensioners. You start to see this take uh, a lot of time for the Congress in the 1880s. Pensioners, men who had served in the war and they were applying for pensions or their families were applying for pensions, many of which were fraudulent. You had people applying for pensions because they had uh, uncontrollable diarrhea 15 years after the war was over, not caused by anything to do with the war, but yet they wanted a pension. This was something that Grover Cleveland, when you get to 1884, promised to clean up. The first real honest election we had in the 19th century post-war was 1884. 
Grover Cleveland wins. And uh, that was, and of course, the man running against him, James Blaine, was as corrupt as you can get in 1884. This is one of the reasons why Blaine lost. James Blaine of Maine. You had tremendous corruption. I mean, 1880, you've got uh, corruption with the Republican Party and the factions, the stalwarts, the half-breeds, as they were called, all of this having to do with New York politics, and Garfield is shot. Chester Arthur becomes president. I mean, this was a nasty period of time. So Cleveland is the first guy elected post-war, the post-bellum period, that there's probably an honest election going on here. But 1888, all that changes with Benjamin Harrison, who was elected again by fraud. He loses uh, the popular vote, but wins in the Electoral College. And he only wins because of some fraud in a couple of states because of the Grand Army of the Republic. And Harrison is the Republican candidate. And, of course, the Republican Party, the Grand Army of the Republic, is a Republican political action committee. That's the last corrupt election in the 19th century. 92 and 96 were certainly, uh, there's not really any hint of corruption in either one of those. I mean, it's there, but not enough to do anything to swing the election improperly. So the late 19th century is interesting, particularly 1880 and 1876, because as people talk about the 21st century and how close we are and how divided we are, we were very divided in 1876. Very divided in 1880, very divided in 1872. And because of fraud, you saw the Republican Party assume the executive mansion rather than the Democrats in many of those elections. So when I say that it's been worse, it has been worse. We had voter fraud essentially for almost 30 years in the late 19th century. And you got to understand, Southern Democrats in particular, but Democrats overall at this time, had something to complain about. They were being railroaded just about every single major election for president in the United States. Now, they were winning congressional seats, and the Republicans can't say they're not winning congressional seats. You see, because voter fraud is most pronounced when it comes to president, and that says something about American politics. The president shouldn't be so important, but it is, and I'll talk about that in a future episode of The Brian McClanahan Show, again with Joe Biden, but if Biden does, if all these lawsuits and everything else do work out against Trump and in Biden's favor, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I, I will just say this right now. I would be shocked if Trump wins the election. But regardless, um, we've had very divided times in American history, <clears throat> excuse me, in very close elections, and we've had a lot of voter fraud before. We've had a lot of delegitimate de elections or illegitimate, I should say, illegitimate elections in American history. So, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then. <laughs>